This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, let's go with the Brock and Salt show this morning here on Seattle Sports on 710 Seattle Sports. Dot com and the Seattle Sports app plus the podcast platforms. Quick question to start the morning. Always. What's the what's the max number of Advils you're supposed to take? Where what's where's that limit at? <laughs> I think it's two. Two? It doesn't decide on the or it isn't determined by the size of the adult. Uh, of the adult? Is that what you the said? Advil? Oh. <laughs> the size adult. of the Advil? Aren't they all basically the same? Do you mean like whether it's a like, like a caplet or a tablet? Milligram. Oh, I don't know, man. Regardless, I was uh, up most of the night with a pooping puppy and also uh, have a pounding headache uh, from the time I went to bed last night to the time I woke up. So. Today will be interesting. I take no responsibility for anything uttered over the course of the next four hours. That's my rule. I'm sorry. I may go back on anything I say today. And if I'm offensive, you know, that's just how it is. People are just going to have to have well, to deal with it today. Advil says do not exceed six caplets in 24 hours. Oh, I should be Unless fine then. Six in 24 hours? Oh, okay. That should be not, not too big a deal. All right. Good. <laughs> All right. We're safe. Great. Let's move forward with the day uh, because I got kind of excited last night. Chip Kelly's name came up, yeah, and I nice. yeah. like it. I think that name excites you more than uh, it does some other people. Oh, I know, but that's just because they hate him because he played it or coached at Oregon, well, which is lame. Maura and I have also realized that a lot of the reason you like these coaches so much is because they're so much fun to interview. Would you stop? That has nothing to do with it, even though Chip's <laughs> well, one of my favorite people I've ever interviewed. No, I love talking to Chip. That's true. I really do. And I'll tell you the story. It goes way, way, way back to when he was at Oregon. And Brock and I went down for the Pac-12, might have even been Pac-10 at the time. I'm not sure. Media Day. Uh, and that one was in, I think, Los Angeles at uh, at the Rose Bowl, which was a ton of fun. And um, we talked to Chip. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of figured I'd heard kind of nasty things about him, this and that. I just loved him. I thought he was great, super personable, interesting dude, fun to talk to, told great stories, was really all about the accountability factor. And again, if you're looking to kind of go in another direction after Pete Carroll, Chip is a, a another part of that. I think he would be a very good fit with Mike McDonald. His design, the accountability thing. Okay, I like the 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 most the thing that stood out to me most in talking to Chip that day was the story he told about how he knew essentially what every single player on his team drove because they were getting tickets like by the library and he wasn't going to stand. He told this like long story about it. I was like, man. This guy knows every single yeah, detail yeah. of what's going on inside his program. He's a details guy, which is different from Pete, right? As you continue this whole, like, you know, move away from everything we've had here for the last 14 years, Chip is very much that. And my sense of things, and it sounds like we're actually going to get a chance to talk to uh, Mike McDonald on Monday morning at 930, which I'm very much looking forward to. My sense of things from him is that that accountability and sense and t- uh, attention to detail is going to be very important to him in his his coaching tenure here in Seattle. So I like Chip as a fit from that perspective. I like the idea of getting another former head coach on staff, even if he was not wildly successful, quite the 
opposite in the NFL, where obviously he kind of bombed out in his couple of stints, but has continued to have fantastic success wherever he goes in college. What he's done at UCLA, no, he didn't win national titles or anything there, but that's a really tough place to exist, and I think he's done a pretty darn good job. We'll get more from Brock when Brock comes in here in a little bit at 7 o'clock because I know he knows Chip pretty well also, and he can speak a little bit more to what he's accomplished at UCLA, but I like Chip a lot. Yeah, and by all accounts, it sounds like based on the conversations he's had with the media, Chip's probably ready to get out of college football. Well, like everybody, right? I mean, like, like everybody, it, especially Chip Kelly. Anybody who has the opportunity to get out of college football while they still can is like, yeah, I want in. I don't want to do this. I want to go back to the yeah. NFL and actually coach rather than spend my time doing, you know, you heard the story from Jeff Halfley. Did you read that whole thing about Jeff Halfley? He's the BC coach who took the defense coordinator yeah. job at Green Bay. And he was like, yeah, I was spending most of my time just basically being a salesperson, essentially just asking donors for money. I want to coach football. That's why I got into this thing. Oof. Did and, you see the sound I sent you guys the other night from Daniel Jeremiah? Oh, yeah. Brooks? Like, I... I was shocked the way you were when you found out they were asking people other than rich donors for money that, like, they're not just paying kids that to go to the school. They're also paying kids to get in the transfer portal and right. go away because they're not good enough and they want to fill that spot with someone else. It's unbelievable. So, Jeez. yeah. So when you hear all of that, do you blame Chip Kelly, who does seem to have a really, you know, bright mind and is interested in just creating plays and scheming, et cetera? Yeah, he'd be a wonderful Offensive coordinator culture like they want to keep that P. Carroll culture going. They've made very clear or something similar to it. Yeah. At least from what I saw when he was with the Eagles, he butted heads with players a lot. They felt he didn't have a level of accountability himself. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's it's been a fine in college. But do you think that transfers to the NFL? His culture would be a fit here. I don't think he'll be setting the culture. So I don't think it'll matter. Like, I, I understand well, he fight the, against that culture. I don't think so. Style. I mean, I think he's coming in to be an offensive coordinator if indeed this ends up going down. I mean, obviously, right now he's just interviewing. And I know there's still kind of a Ryan Grubb group out there. Kind of feels like they would have done that by now if they were going to do it and has sort of a the scent of what happened with Dan, Dan Quinn, Quinn exactly. right? Where you're yeah. like, well, if you were going to do it, you could just do I it. I saw yeah. someone post that. Brady argued that if they were doing a thorough head coaching search, that maybe they're doing the same thing with Sure, the but it also feels but it like that thorough... it did end up thorough... being the last person they talked to, That's right. right. <laughs> and it feels like that thorough head coaching search would have ended earlier if Dan Quinn if had truly mix. been their yeah. guy. Yes. So, yeah, I... I, I I get the sense that this is real. I get the sense that if you have the opportunity to hire Chip Kelly, you would do it. I don't I don't worry as much about him personality-wise as an offensive coordinator. I think that, you know, especially with Leslie Frazier and Mike McDonald, that doesn't that doesn't concern me as much. What he is is smart enough to scheme with the guys in your in your division. For everybody who said, oh, well, we're not you know, smart enough and we're not scheming well enough and Shanahan, whether he's drunk or not, is is absolutely out scheming us and McVeigh. <laughs> yeah, when that he's, one night when, she's going to stick with Oh, yeah, he's going to stick with me for a while. You go public drinking. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, McVeigh, Chip Kelly's every bit as smart as those guys and can scheme with them. So I like it. Here's one other thing that jumped out to me immediately upon reading that news last night, and maybe – it's because it came out mere minutes after I finished writing this column for CLSports.com all about what the Seahawks should do with the quarterback spot next year. Do you, as Brady has told us a bunch of times, make a decision on Geno Smith 10 days from now, really not even now, I think yeah, it's nine, nine days. days from now, yeah. uh, on, on Geno when you've got to you know, guarantee his money for next year. And I wrote last night, 
that I would go back on some of the things I said the other day. I'm flip-flopping. I told you the other day. I used to work for John Kerry. That's how it goes. I'm flip-flopping. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I would go back on a lot of the things I said this year and not draft a quarterback at number 16. Uh, because I just think that Mike McDonald, if he's truly trying to institute a Baltimore Ravens-type team here, you just he has to go defense. You, just, you have to go line of scrimmage. Okay. Maybe it's offensive line. Maybe it's defensive line. But you, you can't be screwing around but with anything. He talked other. about the importance of a quarterback at his press conference, and this is probably Very if important. he comes in and has success, the mo- the highest or like the best draft pick you're going to have in a little while here to get a quarterback. Might be. Yeah. Might be true. But I I'm looking at uh, it going. Yeah. I, I I your line of scrimmage is a mess, and if you hadn't gone cornerback wide receiver last year, okay, maybe. If Derek Hall had been a better pick, yeah, maybe, right? If if Anthony Bradford had blossomed the way we had hoped or Cameron Young had come on the way we talked about him last year, to be, sure, but none of those things happened. And so I think you're in a position where you almost have to go along the line. At, hold on, but at at, uh, at 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 the number 16 pick. Yeah. And there's a bunch of caveats in there, of course, because everything can change. But, 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 uh-huh. but, mm-hmm. but. Yep, yes, yeah. Chip Kelly comes in. That could change things a little you bit. I mean, like, again. You know, I can't come back <laughs> the is, other way. That's I mean, why I was going to say, don't you give at least Mike McDonald and his a new coaching staff a year with the roster before you start deciding if that guy did, didn't but what wasn't if, effective? But what if Chip Kelly team? comes in? And the one thing you can say about Chip, <laughs> he can scheme an offense. He can, but he also likes a running quarterback. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, maybe you get Huntley. When I think of Chip, I think of running quarterbacks. Sure. I think of guys that, I mean, DTR last couple of years ago, obviously all the guys at Oregon, what he did with Michael Vick when he did have some success in the uh-huh. NFL. Like, when I think would Chip. Would you call Mariota a running quarterback? In college, I would. Yeah. Okay. I think he was a really good runner in I college. know, but I'm just trying to think of him yep. as what if None of this matters, and Schneider doesn't care about the coaches, and he does the. Oh, best player available thing and takes like another corner. I'm just saying if, oh, Ch- if, if Chip is here. Mike McDonald save us from that. <laughs> if Chip is here, <laughs> I might change my mind a little bit more about what you need to do with the number 16 yeah. deck. And you can just pretend I didn't write anything I wrote yesterday. But read it first. Read it, I yeah. mean, let's, let's go read Build it. The base. Obviously, we need to put it in your brain. SeattleSports.com. We'll come right back with everything you need to know. And then uh, some senior bowl talk with Jim Nagy, who, as it turns out, gets a lot of free candy. It's coming up on Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710 SeattleSports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, good news. Mike McDonald, new coach of the Seattle Seahawks, is going to join our show Monday morning at 930. You can set a little alarm for that right now. Think I'll have an offensive coordinator by then? I hope so, because that scheme you would think would be pretty instructive in their decision they've got to make on Geno Smith before February 16th. Brady Henderson has reported a couple of times his $12.7 million base salary becomes guaranteed on that day. So last night, a new name entering the chat. It's a big one. Reports have Chip Kelly, currently the UCLA head coach, interviewing for the job. I think he would be fantastic. He's creative. He likes to run the ball. He devises schemes for most any occasion. No, he was not an ideal head coach in the NFL, but that's not the job he's being asked about. He's being asked to be an offensive coordinator. And you know what? Guy knows what he's doing. Yogi Roth on the station earlier this year. Chip is, to me, one of the best offensive minds in all of college football. And you go back and watch even how they schemed up teams 
you know, since he's been at UCLA, and of course we all know what happened at Oregon. You know, he's, he's special in that regard. He's elite there. So, you know, it's going to be hard, and Oregon's always going to be good. I mean, I don't think that they're going to take any steps back. I know it's the portal and all the things that can happen, and big players and big names have decommitted in the last 48 hours or so. Yeah, so a lot of positive, uh, I think, things to say there about Chip Kelly, and for good reason. He's been successful everywhere he's been in college, and certainly the reason he struggled in the NFL was not because of his offensive mind. It was trying to lead people as the head coach. Maybe that ends up being a good thing for the Seahawks as there's no risk that he is uh, out to take the job or undercut Mike McDonald. Ryan Grubb does still remain the most familiar option we've heard. Again, I kind of think this feels like the Dan Quinn situation where the longer it goes, the less likely it appears. But Mike Mike Varell of Seattle Times was on yesterday with Bump and Stacey and explained why Grubb is a pretty good candidate. I think it's probably easier than it has been in the past when you just think about the way that the style of mesh from college to the NFL and I think there was 10, 20 years ago there was much more of a divide between what was pro style and when college spreads and speeds spreads and everything was running wild and option offenses and different styles. I think talking to Ryan in the past, just right before the, the CFP and right before they played Texas, he kind of described their offense as kind of being a pro style spread and I'm not sure how you, exactly you would define that but I do think that offenses are moving that direction more and there, there's more of a blurred line between college and the pros in general. So I do think that what he does, the way that he schemes guys open, both in the run game, the pass game, is very transferable. Yeah, we'll see. Again, I think the the fear there is that he's just a passing guy more than anything else. And if you come from the Ravens system, it sure seems like running the ball would be paramount to the future of the Seahawks. Here's the second thing you need to know. Kind of a small move for the Mariners yesterday. They pick up pitcher Colin Snyder off of waivers. He had two largely ineffective and forgettable seasons in Kansas City before moving on to Arizona and now to Seattle. He's been a reliever, so maybe you can add him to the list of candidates to do what Topa and Seawald and some of those other guys have done in the past few years. Low-risk move that maybe has a little bit of upside. And yes, since we were talking college football coaching, Steve Belichick is indeed coming to Montlake to join forces with Brennan Carroll in some sort of weird coaching nepotism version of Voltron, where they're going to now defend the universe from... uh, all invaders in the Big Ten. Yeah. Gonna be good. Here's the third thing you need to know. What else you need to know? Hey, I'm pretty interested by this little venture between Disney, Warner Brothers, and Fox to create this sports streaming bundle. So this would include ESPN, Fox, and Turner, right? Which is awesome. I know everybody's making the jokes about, hey, that's just called cable. Well, here's the thing. Without NBC and CBS kind of hard to imagine how this works well enough for most fans to ditch their other options right like if you're gonna say okay i want to watch games that's why i'm buying this is a sports fans package well you need nbc and cbs the other channels to play others like unfortunately like sorry those two things matter maybe because of peacock and paramount they offer some of that and you're not going to need still seems like that's something that would be necessary but i'll keep coming back to the whole baseball thing which is that For years, baseball has relied on non-sports fans to supplement their financial model. And it feels like this is an opportunity to keep it to just sports, right? And use the power of sports, but then just kind of find ways to make you pay more by bundling it all together. So we'll we'll see what happens. Kind of a proof of concept, though, maybe for some other sports packages. Doesn't this kind of feel like collusion between major companies? Doesn't it just feel like 
just kind of feel like we should have kept the cable. Well, they're cutting, but for them, they're cutting out cable. They're cutting out this the middleman. Right. They're saying, hey, yeah, we we're giving you cable, cable but anymore. without the cable company, we're going to be the cable company in addition to. Well, but they realize that people are getting so sick of having to have every single service that now they're all banding together to kind of create what we are. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But from their point of view, from a from a from a business yeah. model. They're saying we're going to be the producer and the distributor, and we're just going to cut out the cable company. I'm curious to see what these pricing, pricing, pricing tiers will be. Yeah. All right, that's everything you need to know. I'm sure it'll be cheap, Justin. That's everything you need to know. Of um, usually when companies Almost collude, free. we the people end we up win. being the great beneficiaries <laughs> of their ability to do so. This is out of the goodness of their heart for sports fans yeah. and not to uh, make more money. <laughs> yes, They're uh, not a for-profit company. Uh, good text here I wanted to get to quickly uh, from the 209 in California. I don't think Chip is going to get another shot to be head coach in the NFL. So he might be a guy you could actually hang on to for offensive coordinator for several years. Good point. Really good point, right? That was some of the argument. If you go defense, then if you get a hot offensive mind as the offense coordinator, they get poached. Yes. Well, maybe Chip would uh, stick around for a while because nobody's going to want him to be their head coach because he's already bombed out twice in that department. Yeah. Yeah, And I think if Ryan Grubb came in and continued – Looking as hot as he did at UW, people would snatch him up within the first. I think that's probably two. true. Uh, four two five Salk. What do you think about Lincoln Riley as a candidate for offensive coordinator? I know that uh, Brock's mentioned Lincoln Riley a bunch of times when we were talking about the coaching thing, and obviously that never went down. And maybe his lousy year at USC was a big part of that. He making a lot of money at USC, and unlike some of the other schools that are losing their coaches, you can win at USC. Yeah, so you don't have to be a salesman as much there. Yeah, I, that would surprise me if that if that went down that way, but. If he was interested, I would certainly find that to be an intriguing option. I don't know why you wouldn't. He's one of, again, the bright offensive minds of his generation. So, sure, yeah, that would be uh, very interesting to me. All right, Um, let me take a quick break. We'll come back, give you guys uh, some Jim Nagy, who I really enjoyed talking to yesterday. Uh, Great marketer for the Senior Bowl. Fantastic information on some of the players that were there. Great discussion on football in general. Plus, I was so jealous of what he told us at the end of this interview that I couldn't stop talking about it throughout the day yesterday. You'll have to hear it. It's coming up next on Brock and Salk. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. So fun having a couple of these stories all going on simultaneously here in Seattle as we're just over a week away from spring training. We've got a new coach we're talking about. He's filling out his staff. And yes, the draft is still just a couple months away also. I, uh... I don't mean this as a, as a way of, uh, you know, buttering up the guest, Brock, but mm-hmm. I said this earlier and I'll, I'll say it again. I think what Jim Nagy has done with the Senior Bowl is one of the great marketing efforts of all time, and I mean that in a really positive way. Yeah. He's turned it really into something, and some of that is, you know, through his just personal effort and love of the product, and some of mm-hmm. it is the amount of success they've had with it, the people they've had to go to it, and what it's done to help NFL teams make their decisions in the draft. So I say that to butter him up so he'll give us the best mm-hmm. answers imaginable. Jim Nagy joining us right now. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> uh, doing great. Doing great. No, very, very kind of you. Um, the game's been great forever. It, it just, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of under-marketed for lack of a better phrase. So just, you know, we, we have worked hard on this and really through social media, everyone's on their phones now. Right. So, so we've been, we've been hitting the social thing hard now for almost six years. And, uh, 
and it's starting to grow. You can feel it. It had a different feel this year even than last year. Is that kind of mirroring the NFL and realizing that, sure, that the actual product of football is awesome, but that doesn't mean we don't have to consistently and every day do all we can mm-hmm. to kind of grow the brand and, and market the product? You know, Brock, the biggest thing was when I, when I took the job, I had a lot of friends in the agent community who I knew when I was, when I was scouting. They were like, man, you need to, you need to wrestle the, the power away from us. You know, as great as the Senior Bowl is, like too many players got invites and didn't really know about the Senior Bowl. Um, so that's been the, that's been the, the, you know, the aim for the last five or six years has been to just really promote these guys. And, and so when they do get their, you know, promote them from the spring, we watch the tape and in the spring and the summer. And then we, you know, we're out at our staff is out at games through the fall and we're just pushing these guys, pushing these guys. So then when they get their invites, at least they know about us, right? <laughs> at least yeah. they know about the senior bowl and what it's all about. And, um, I do feel like your best recruiters are, are the guys that go before you too. So, now we've got, you know, five or six classes built up and and um so these guys have seen the guys go before them. So it's just uh that 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 was really the the you know the you know kind of the impetus behind it. So that's how long you've been there, right? About five or six years, something like that? Yeah, I took the job in the summer of eighteen. This this just okay. finished up our sixth game cycle. Yep. In a totally normal few years. I mean nothing's really gone on nationally <laughs> or with college football <laughs> or with pandemics, health, et cetera, during that time. But you also you also have a Seattle connection, right? So just before we dig into some of these questions about players, et cetera, what's the Seattle connection for folks that don't know? Yeah, I was I was there my last five years um before I took this job um scouting and, and I go way back with John. Uh, my first job in the NFL was in in '96 with the Packers, and John was a a pro scout there, and I was an intern. So we've, I've known John a long time, and uh, I was really fortunate to spend. You know, I was there. I got there the Super Bowl year. I think I was there 13 through 18. Um, so some really good teams, and just you know, really uh, fortunate and grateful that I was able to spend that time with John and Pete, and uh, have some of their leadership style rub off on me, and. Uh, learn learn under those guys so it was unbelievable experience unbelievable organization to work for and it made it tough I mean this was a this was a great opportunity for me to stay here in Mobile and and uh, watch my son go through high school uh, football and basketball and that's really why I did it it was a it was really a family move um, but yeah it was it was just you know to bring to bring the lessons I learned from Seattle down here was uh, was really beneficial who was your big win like who did you really want them to draft that they drafted uh, probably Jaron Reed would be the, the biggest one that came to mind. Um, and again, I was, I mean, I had a big old grade on Jaron just because I knew, I knew what he would bring to the locker room. Um, you know, he was the alpha dog in that, in that, on that Alabama defense. And that was, I mean, they had some dudes on that, you know, those 16, 17, 18, uh, defenses in, in Alabama. And, uh, he was the guy and he was exactly what we were looking for, for that locker room and a guy that could handle himself and, and uh, was very serious about football and holding other people accountable. And then obviously he's a great he's a great player too. So uh, so there's that. But I, I would probably say Jaron's the guy that I push most for. And your biggest miss? No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. <laughs> we, we don't have to do that. Jim Nagy here with us, former scout of the Seahawks, and now right. running the Senior Bowl. <laughs> Any of those? Yeah, I'm doing just an, an awesome job. We had Daniel Jeremiah on uh, just before. Uh, the week of the Senior Bowl, and he said, "Man, putting together my my first mock draft, it was a little different this year because of so many juniors that have stayed in the extra COVID year that still has not been flushed out. He felt like there was some tremendous top tier talent, right? Offensive tackles and receivers and everything else, but he had a hard time rounding out the first round with a first round kind of grade. 
Are you getting that sense, or did maybe the week down there at the Senior Bowl showcase some guys that, hey, hold on just a second, maybe not the biggest name recognition, but there's going to be plenty of first-round guys to fill out uh, those 32 picks? Brock, you're bringing up a really sore subject, man, that DJ mock draft thing. Um, <laughs> so we, he, he and our buddies, we were on the road together for, for a bunch of years, and uh, gosh darn it, he puts out that mock draft, and he's got Byron Murphy from Texas as his number 11 player. He had uh, – Taliesi Fuaga from Oregon State is his number 10 player. And I texted him. I'm like, dude, we're going to lose both those guys now that you put, it, this, put out this stupid mock draft. Um, but it, it, and literally, he, he, he texted back. He's like, oh, no, don't say that. And, like, and within an hour, I got a call from, from uh, Byron Murphy's agent. He's like, he's like Jim, I got to pull him. So, uh, no. But, no, I, I think I, I really do feel like the first four rounds of this draft are really, really strong. Um, I posted something on social media about this a couple weeks ago leading into our game week. Um, I think day three got completely wiped out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can bring juniors to the game now, so it was a little bit of a different process for us. I couldn't just come out of the shoots and invite, you know, 130 seniors to this game. We had to save some spots for the juniors at every position. But then when, you know, some guys came went back to school, like we said, and we were that, that junior number topped out. We were in the 140s in 2019. And now we're down in the fifties. Um, I mean, think about that. It's like about 90 players that, that are, would be, you know, you know, solid draft picks and for most in the, for the most part um, that now aren't in the draft. So what happened was um, when juniors went back to school um, or if we, you know, we ended up not getting a couple juniors that we wanted to get the agents, you know, passed on the opportunity. Well, then we had to circle back down to the, the next graded seniors, right? It, it, you know, and this this is about a month-long process from the beginning of December to the beginning of January. And by the time we circled back, our day three bore, like the guys that we were circling back to had either, you know, kind of pushed the panic button that they didn't get an invite and jumped in the portal and transferred or just took, to you know, signed an NIL deal and went back to school. And that's, and that's coming from the agents and the coaches. That's not, I mean, I, I'm not making that up or mm-hmm. trying to make our game sound like o- overly important. I'm not trying to sound self-important. Um, but that just is, came back from a lot of coaches like, man, this kid didn't get a, get an invite and he just kind of got, you know, shook by it. And, and he, you know, he said he wanted to come back. So, I mean, there are some running backs that are going back to college football next year that are going to be fifth and sixth year running backs that, you know, we would have wanted to have in the senior bowl and like really have no business being back in college football. I mean, if you're, I mean, the running back position, we all know where it's at. I mean, you shouldn't be going back for a fifth year. So just a lot of different dynamics at play. So what is just talking about the day three stuff, if you're a team that has, is loaded with a bunch of day three picks, I'm looking to either move those for next year, like trade of this year's fourth for a next year's third or something, but or, or maneuver around in those first four rounds and, and you know, try to trade up to, for some guys that you really want to target. So it'll, it'll be interesting once we get to April where teams, you know, strategically – you know, where they land, what they want to do when, when we get to April. Talking to uh, Jim Nagy of the uh, Reese's Senior Bowl. So you worked with John. You know John well. Who are some players that you've seen that seem like John kind of guys? Oh, that's a <laughs> – I, I don't know about that. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, you just got to – I don't think – and, again, I don't want to talk out of turn. I don't think even with the new head coach they're going to want to change – the type of player they look for, uh, you know, so I still think they're going to look for, you know, really highly, pedi- highly competitive guys that love football. Um, and, and that's really what they've focused on the last couple of drafts. Why th- that's why I think their last couple of drafts have been great. Um, I know that when I was there, you know, we strayed from that a little bit, you know, we, we, we got enticed by talent 
a couple times and, and took a couple risky picks and they didn't pan out. I think they've really done a nice job kind of sticking to their guns and what they say they believe in over the last, you know, two, three drafts and it's paid off for them. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be guys that there's, you know, the, I know the two tackles are good players up there. Um, but I know they, you know, interior offensive line might be an area of need. I think they're, it's loaded. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson from, from Oregon up your way. Uh, had real two really good days of practice down here. I think he would be an immediate starter for those guys and and really upgrade them on the interior. But I mean, shoot, to say you know I don't want to sit here and make it sound like I, I know what mm-hmm. John's plan is. He didn't he didn't even make it to Mobile this year because he was doing, he was doing the coaching thing. <laughs> so uh, so I miss seeing my I miss seeing my guy come down. But uh, I know they'll have a plan. They always have a plan. What did you think about his new, and what do you think about his new partner? Because all those years you were there, it was Pete. All the years that Salk and I have done this show, save for one, it's been the marriage of Pete and John, and those two lockstep together for 14 years. I think they made their way late to Mobile, but maybe you didn't see them together. But when you do come across a Mike McDonald at 36 years of age and John Schneider and no more Pete Carroll, what thought comes to your mind? It's going to be so different, Brock. Um you know, and that's the thing that I don't think that gets talked enough about, and maybe it does up there um, in your market, was, was that marriage. And, in, 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 you know, just seeing it, you know, for five years from the inside and in what it takes for that to work, because it doesn't work everywhere. I've, I've worked for teams where that relationship has blown up a place. Um, you know, that's how I ended up in Seattle. I was in Kansas City, and and the head coach GM thing just did not work at all. And, and, and it worked to our detriment. We, we didn't win games. So what they were able to do is incredible. I think, I don't know Mike McDonald very well. Uh, people have asked me that in my only really time I've spent time with him. I went and played in Jim Harbaugh's golf tournament two or three years ago. And we took a bus from Schembechler hall over to some country club with the coaching staff. And I rode with those guys and got to know him a little bit, but I do not know him. Well, I, I do, I do have a lot of buddies on the Baltimore Ravens scouting staff that, speak the world of him. So, you know, it makes sense that he's getting this opportunity. Um, and I'm just excited to see what he does with that personnel, because I know John mentioned that they, they underachieved this year and I don't get to watch a ton of NFL, but when I do, I watch the Hawks and, you know, to see them play the Rams and they show the Rams starting lineup on defense and it's a bunch of late round picks and, you know, free, you know, pre, you know, free priority, free agent level undrafted free agents. And they're getting it done. Raheem Morris is getting it done. And then Seattle's got all these, you know, really talented dudes on defense. Um, I'm excited what Mike McDonald can do with those guys. Hmm. Tell me about the two quarterbacks from the Pac-12. Obviously, uh, you know, we have a little rooting interest here in where Michael Penix goes in the draft, and Lance Nix was there as well. What uh, What did you Bo say? Nicks. Bo Nix. Did I say Lance Nix? That's the you old Texas Rangers second baseman. Gone, gone it's yeah, all. It'll happen to you. <laughs> Bo, Lance, same thing. Uh, tell me about what those two guys were able to accomplish. Yeah, I figured it out where you were going with that. Um, they got better every day. I'll say that, you know, it's, it's different down here and these, it's amazing. I sat with Bo Nix and, uh, he's training down here for the draft with, uh, with, uh, Drake may from North Carolina and then Carter Bradley from South Alabama, another one of our guys we had in the game. I, w- I, w- I went to one of their workouts a couple of weeks ago and then went in and watched, watched tape of the workout with them. And we were just talking through stuff like these guys, none of them had ever taken a snap from under center ever in their lives. Um, you know, and, and Bo Nix has played for next year in the NFL. It'll be his seventh straight year with a new coordinator. And uh, he's, he played for seven coordinators and never gotten under center. So the first day is always an adjustment for him, right? And they're working with new receivers. So I will say this, there was more completions. Um, usually the first day guys are spr- spraying it around and 
there's not a lot of familiarity with their guys, but I do feel like there was more completions day one, but they both got better. Uh, you know, Penix didn't play in the game, but, but Bo did, and he put together a really nice drive on his second series and, and uh, kind of threw across his body for a touchdown uh, to a tight end from Minnesota. So um, I both thought they, they both got better every day, and that's really all the, that's all, really all the teams are looking for is to see what they can build off. I'm going to go three downs with you. My last three kind of rapid-fire questions here for you. Jim Nagy here, kind enough to take a bunch of time with us. Um, we asked a lot of guys over the course of the season as Penix just took off this year, uh, Jim, and, and from Herb Street to other analysts to everybody, and I'm like, give me a good comp. Come on now, give me a good comp for Michael Penix. Give me somebody, and that is the scouting world, right? You've got this Rolodex of 30 years of different QBs over your time and down there the last six years in Mobile. Penix remind you of anybody? really hard like i saw some i saw heard some Tua stuff out there i don't know if that's just the lefty the lefty thing now, i think mike's pretty unique and, and again for scouts like for us we don't throw comps around very often i mean everything has to line up right from like the body type the skill set the, the makeup of the player like because when you say that in a draft room it really has to ring true for the gm and the head coach who you're trying to paint the picture for so i'm not trying to like cop out of your your question mm-hmm. man but that's that's a hard one. That's a that's a really hard one. I think Mike's a pretty unique player. I really yeah. do. I mean, that's there, there's not many guys like him. So I, off the top of my head, no, I don't I don't have one for you. I what is said, it though? What is it that makes him unique? I know Brock wants to follow up there, but what is it that makes him unique? Because we've gotten that answer from almost everybody. Why is it so hard to find a comp for him? Well, because you know he you. you he, he's more of a pocket guy, right? Like so, when I see some of the comps that you know. I've seen some comps to more mobile quarterbacks. I mean, that's just not Mike's game. Mike's game isn't moving around and making a ton happen. It's from operating in the pocket, which he does a great job of. Um, and then he's, you know, he's a great deep ball thrower, which we know I've, I've jokingly said, if the Raiders, if uh, Al Davis were still alive, he'd be the Raiders first round pick. Mm. There's no question about that mm. with the way he throws it vertically. But I think what's underrated is, you know, people, you know, just being able to throw the ball deep and accurately doesn't mean you have a, a really strong arm in terms of like zip on your throws, but, but he can rip it too. I think we saw a couple games in the, in the college football playoff where he can do that, but, but no, I think he's, he's just unique. His motion's unique. Um, you know, his ability to stretch the field vertically and, and accurately, and then, and then maybe not be as accurate underneath um is 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 what makes him different so no he's a, he's a unique player sure looked like roger rosengarten helped himself huh he did he did you know and roger you know as, as we all know played on the right side there at, at uw because of uh because of troy on the left side and sometimes down here that that flip doesn't work so i know he's putting in uh he'd put in some good work for a couple of weeks before he got here but i mean man it, he, he just got done playing three weeks before our game where some of these guys have been done since thanksgiving um, so it's not like he's had a ton of time. I don't know how much he practiced over there, um, but, you know, it, flopping sides isn't always easy. And uh, the thing that stood out in terms of, like, twitch out of his stance, he has left tackle twitch. I do think he's a guy that can swing at the next level. Um, so he had a really nice week. I haven't gotten through all the tape yet because we're still, like, meeting as a staff and debriefing on what worked and what didn't work, and we're we're doing a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but from what I saw, and I, I really tried to focus on the big guys during the week, I thought Roger had a really nice week. And then the last thing for me, and I love the Jaron Reed conversation earlier, who's a player in your six years that when you talk to these agents and you talk maybe even to the players and others around them, you can say, hey, listen, this one week in Mobile changed this guy's arc. This one week changed his stock. This one week gave the exposure that this guy needed, and it's shown up at the NFL level with him taking off. Is there a player or two over your years, Jim, running it that comes to your mind? 
Yeah, there, there's usually, you know, 10 to 15 guys like that every year. But, but you know, going back to, I think it was my second year, I'd say Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, Terry was the number two receiver at, at uh, Ohio State behind Paris Campbell, a guy that got drafted by the Colts in the sec- early, in this, early in the second round. Um, and when we, you know, part of our process is, we, you know, we've got, we had 11 former NFL scouts on our staff and we're, we're doing this the best we can. We're at games every Saturday and we're watching tape and everything, but th- this game is for the team. So like the, the last part of our process is I get on calls with usually about half the league every year. And we just go position by position, you know, of, of you know, and comparing notes and comparing grades. And I, I do that up in Seattle with, with their guys every year. And, uh, you know, when, when we did those calls that year, Terry McLaurin, everybody had him in the fifth and the sixth round, which is, uh, and really, I honestly, I, and I said it when he came down here, we invited him because of what he did as a gunner on punt team. I mean, that's where you saw the speed. And then he comes down here and he doesn't, you know, they don't run a lot of routes at Ohio state comes down here. Nobody can cover him. Uh, we have the same zebra technology, GPS stuff that all 32 NFL teams do. They're one of our partners. He was the fastest guy in the game that year. And he was, he was, so he was fast. He was uncoverable. Um, and I said it when he left the week that someday Terry McLaurin could run a fortune 500 company. And I'm not talking about like a, a little company down here in Mobile, Alabama. Like he could go to a fortune, <laughs> like that's the kind of leader this guy is like he's off the charts. <laughs> and so to see him become a pro bowl player and he went in the third round. So he went from like a fifth or sixth rounder to the third. And now in hindsight was a bit way underdrafted. Like you, you redraft the whatever that draft was, the 2019 draft that Terry was in, he would have been a, easily been a first-round draft pick. So um, that's just one of them, Brock. So, awesome. But uh, there's a lot There's a lot of guys. What's your level of involvement with Reese's? <laughs> I eat a lot of their products. I mean, like, do you, um, are, you, are you hooked up? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? I mean, that's a pretty sweet sponsorship. It's a, it, you know what? It's a sweet sponsorship. They've been a sponsor no for 10 intended. years, which in the, in, in the world of sponsorships, that is a, that yeah. is a long time. And, uh, the best thing is they, they deliver two 400 pound pallets of product a year. Whoa. So we get eight, we get 800 pounds of product a year. It's really good on Halloween. Um, I will say our house is now the most popular house in the, <laughs> in the neighborhood where we've got the full size Reese's and the full size Kit Kats and no. everything. But, uh, so important question yeah. on that front. And, and I don't know that you know anybody there, if you have any strings that you can pull, whatever, there seems to be sort of a, a, a move on their part towards the peanut butter cup and away from the pieces. And I love a good peanut butter cup. Don't get me wrong. I have no yeah. issues with all of the peanut butter cup love, but I am surprised as a devout Reese's Pieces fan that they've sort of gone by the wayside in recent years. And I was hoping maybe you could talk to somebody there. They haven't gone by the wayside down here in this office. There are oh, those, good. we get stocked pretty heavily. You can't, but you can't do much more with the pieces. They've now they're adding caramel in the cup. Oh, that's that. like their yeah. new, that's, yeah. that's the new thing they were pushing this year at the game. But I mean, the pieces are perfect. You can't, you can't, can't do much with the pieces. Amen. They're perfection. Amen. Just drop the mic on that, Jim. Thank what you. What a way to end, Jim. What an absolute star. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. What a fun, uh, what a fun time. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, time. Jim. Really, ton of time. Yeah, fellas. Thanks for having me on, guys. There you go. There's Jim Nagy, uh, and uh, he will apparently uh, give you a Reese's if you need one. He's got plenty around his house, so he can, uh, he can hook you up. All right. Hey, I need a little help before Brock jumps on. Now seems like a good time. Can you guys help me out a little bit? Super Bowls this weekend. Maybe. Super Bowls this weekend. You, my family, my wife, and my kids are going to be out of town. Whoa. Yeah, it's a long story. My parents are going to be in town. So I'm hanging with my parents for the Super Bowl this year, which is fine. 
enjoy that. I've spent many Super Bowls with my parents, mostly as a kid. Okay, so the rules, they can't ask questions. No, they can do whatever they want. That was like the one that was just over Thanksgiving. So I can get through a long visit and all that. This is different. They can do whatever (laughs) they want. Okay, okay. So they're coming in, uh, they're coming in for uh for for the Super Bowl. Normally, my Super Bowl go-to snack is that I make a seven-layer dip from scratch, which I really enjoy. And, you know, we all eat seven-layer dip. But my dad, my parents, being from Boston, don't eat any of the seven layers. They don't do Mexican food really in any way. And as I've mentioned before on the show, growing up in Boston in the 80s, there was no such thing as a Mexican restaurant I think there was one Taco Bell, but you had to like really know how to find it. I was just talking to my dad the other day about, but he likes it now, but about how he had not had a taco until he was like in his late 20s. Not a thing. So why can't you just make some stuff for yourself? More for you. Well, because making like an entire seven layer dip for yourself is disgusting, Justin. Ah, So here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. Does anybody have any suggestions? On what to make. On what to make. Now, in the past with my family, we've done things like related to one of the teams in the Super Bowl, like we did Philly cheesesteaks at home when the Eagles were in it one year, that type of stuff. Kansas City barbecue. Yeah, but like, can I really make Kansas City barbecue at home and make it good? Probably not. Right? Probably not. Is there anything San Francisco or something else Kansas City related or really just any other ideas that you think would be good? I could use use the... um, the Instant Pot, I can use a slow cooker, I can use a uh, air fryer, I could use the grill. Like, I'm happy to kind of think outside the box a little bit, but for a small group of just three people, and really my mom won't eat, so mm. like two people, <laughs> me and my dad, what would you make for the Super Bowl this year? You could text the show, 866-979-3776. Seafood, right? No, my dad won't eat seafood okay. or Mexican food or Indian food. Okay. So you can't do the Hangtown Fry. That's nope. kind of the 49ers or San Francisco thing. Yeah, he right? won't do that. No, that's out. Well, Oysters. Are- yeah, anything spicy is out, too. Yeah, they won't wow. eat anything with spice. Yeah, that you can just you can immediately take out anything I mean, with spice. Are they kids? Can you just get them chicken strips and French fries, and they're fine. My dad or? would like chicken strips with French fries. Yes, that would go. be good as long as there was enough uh, ketchup. Yes, I think <laughs> uh, a lot of people saying rice aroni, the San Francisco treat. That's a good point. Maybe maybe we'll have to look into rice aroni. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate the uh, the text. There's a lot of them coming in. I don't know that we'll do donuts, but I appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, we'll come right back because Chip Kelly is in the fold potentially. Got to ask Brock what he thinks about this. I'm into it. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk.